you ever just sit and wonder, like, what is going on with our society? Do you ever feel that? Like, it's this burning question in my heart, and it's like so many conversations that I find myself uh, having on what is going on right now. There's so much brokenness in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools. You see addiction on the rise. You see identity crises on the rise. You see violence on the rise. You see bullying on the rise. I don't know if this is true, but you see road rage on the rise. Just the other day, I was driving, and there was a woman that was driving, hanging out her car, yelling at a truck behind her, flipping him the bird while he's driving at least like six inches from her bumper, out yelling at her. And I have to admit, at first I was impressed. (laughs) I thought, this is incredible that they can be hanging out their car and not crash into one another. But when I really thought about it, it just kind of made me feel like my heart just broke. It leaves me like feeling like exhausted and like anxious about the world that my kids are going to inherit and a little bit of frustration on, on where we're at and fill in the blank. And I begin to think, how did we get here? You know, I know road rage, I know bullying, I know that violence has always been a thing. It's not new, but it seems more prevalent. It seems more in your face than ever before. And many of you have experienced this in your family. Maybe you have people that are going through right now addiction and heartache and broken relationships, or maybe you're the person who's going through that right now. And it's a challenge. But today, I hope that this talk will help you personally, but it will also help us as we navigate a complicated and a complex world when we leave through those automatic doors. Because I can't talk about this enough. If we believe that our church is set up to simply be this, where all of us play a part and we're all called for, by God to advance his kingdom, then it's so important that we understand and we position our hearts on how God wants us to carry out our work. You know, part of getting older, there's this weird thing that happens. There's this weird thing that happens when called the evening walk. Do you ever do the evening walk? I used to judge people. I used to drive. I used to be like, it's only for old people. But Meg and I have been on a rare weeknight that we don't have either a church thing or a kid thing or it's not raining. We go on an evening walk. I apologize There is magic in the evening walk. Everyone needs an evening walk. But my wife and I, we were just talking, and we had this conversation. How did the world get to, how did society get to where we are at? And as I talked with her, I'm feeling more and more convinced that the solution or the answer, or at least the lead indicator, is this. Artificial turf. Think about this. Of course, a little tongue-in-cheek here. But I think there is spiritual significance an artificial turf, if you think about it. Think about this. We as humans have come to a place where we decided that we can create something better, more efficient, and cheaper than the ground. The most abundant natural resource that we have, the ground. It's amazing when you think about it. You know, you don't have to mine for it. You don't have to log, go logging for it. You don't have to search for it. It's just the ground is there. And yet we made artificial turf and said we took rubber bits and we put them in plastic grass and we call it now the ground. And it's actually, there's some research to back me up on this. First, you're way more likely to get injured on artificial turf than you are on the ground. It's amazing. It's like 28% chance that you're going to get some sort of injury, 69% chance that you're going to get an ankle or a foot injury. So we're going to have kids that 
because they're not playing on the ground, they're playing on artificial turf, are going to get more injured. It just is the fact. And second, it should be no surprise, it's actually terrible for the environment. The rain comes and it flushes out the rubber and it goes into our sewer systems. It's also, as people, I guess this is a big thing, is putting artificial turf in their lawns. Like, the uh, bugs can't burrow and it's like going to mess up our ecosystem, as some people think. And, 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 the, and the third one is that like, it's a huge carbon footprint to just make it. And the third, probably most annoying, or probably most important, is when you get the annoying bits into your shoes. My kids play soccer, and they play uh, football, and they play all that stuff. And you, for about five days after your kids play on artificial turf, will be getting rubber pellets out of your shoes. It's the most annoying thing in the world. But what we find is that artificial turf is a perfect illustration of what's happening to our world. We're in a time, and friends, hear me say that this is influencing inside the church as much as it's influencing outside the church. But we are at a time where we believe that we as humans can move beyond what God created. And we're living in a time where we get it twisted, where we, don't need, we feel like we don't need boundaries or limits or structure or that rules are oppressive on us. And we believe that we can create things that are better than God made the natural order. And we believe that freedom is this, living without limits, living without boundaries, living without order. But what we really see is that it won't lead to freedom. It will lead to destruction over and over and over again. If you've lived long enough, you see this. You see somebody who thinks they're living free and you know that it's heading down the road of destruction and eventually they get there and your heart breaks. Matthew 7 tells us, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Okay, confession time number two. Confession time number one was that I go on evening walks, which is embarrassing, but I'm at that age. Confession number two is that in 2004, when I was in my biblical studies classes, I had a professor that talked all the time about postmodernism. The confession is, I never listened during those. I didn't listen during many classes, but I did not listen in particular during those classes because it just felt too far-fetched. He would talk about how postmodernism was going to affect the church inside and outside the world, and it's a significant thing that's happening, and we see it today. We are seeing the effects of postmodernism in our world. Now, let me try to explain this as simply as I can if you're not like a big-time philosophy person. But I'm actually excited because we're thinking about running some um, classes, some Sunday school classes. Nothing more old school than a little Sunday school class. But this fall, Liz and Brendan and Brenda are kind of talking about this. But one of the things we're talking about is a worldview class because it's so important that we train people on worldviews. But postmodernism, first you have to understand, it's not Christian or not Christian. It's not liberal and it's not conservative. It's just what we are experiencing. It's very important for us to understand that. That this philosophical, philosophical thing, I need to start working on my speech, but is, is what's happening and what we are experiencing, okay? So postmodernism is a broad term, but it's this idea that now we live in a culture that each one of our minds is not focused on objective truth, but rather on our own personal realities. That's where we're at, Okay. So postmodernism is post because it denies the existence of ultimate principles, okay? So it lacks optimism when it comes to things like scientific or philosophical or even a religious truth 
that would be explain something or explain everything to everybody. Does that make sense? So there's no objective truth. There's, there's no like, hey, this is a truism for all of us. So we live under these rules. It's now what is my personal reality and how do I live from that? Now, the challenge for us as believers is this, that for the society that we're living in, they no longer accept, and, and what we hold true is that, that the ways of God are not only true and that the word of God is not only true. But I believe whether you're a modern mind, and we have some modern minds in here, or a postmodern mind, or like me, an ADD scattered mind, that God as the creator has set things up for the best way for humankind. And that the Bible is filled with truths that are so incomparable in comparison and accuracy to how one is to develop. How one is to develop the mind, the body, and the spirit. The Bible is filled with this, how one is to develop. Who God is, the word of God, how he intended things to be set up, has more truth about sociology and psychology and human behavior, relationships, individual development, human decency than anything else that's written or out there. So today we're going to jump into Deuteronomy 10. We're going to go old school. <laughs> Let's go for it, eh? This is going to go a long time, so just hold on. But today we're going to use this text to hopefully provide insights into how in today's world we actually, there is hope, how we can actually help people to live the lives that God has always wanted them to live. And so we look at this, and it's also going to show how we are meant to develop and how people are meant to develop. As a society, I truly believe that we, the only way that we truly progress as a society is to live out God's truth on how we treat people, on how people feel about themselves, and about how people thrive. And the book of Deuteronomy is actually about how people thrive. Now, the interesting thing about the book of Deuteronomy is that it's often thought of as a long list of rules because in some ways, it's a long list of rules. But it's so often, it's so much more than that. And we find that the, exactly that the book is about more about God's character and his intention for human thriving. And we can completely miss this. The worldview that we have to wrestle with that's happening in our society takes books like De Deuteronomy and says, hey, this is just oppressive, but they're completely missing the point on what God was trying to do and what God is trying to do, what God is all about. Deuteronomy, in a lot of ways, is a story of grace, but more importantly, it's a story of God's character, who he is. So let's set the stage, all right? Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt, crosses the Red Sea. You got the manna going. You got water flowing. You're good. He, he's reminded of the laws from Mount Sinai. But what we see is that even with all the manifestations that the Israelites, they finally arrive close to the land of Canaan, or Canaan and they still do not trust the Lord. It's totally fine. Many of us can see that pattern in our life. That's totally fine. But because of this distrust, they are forced to spend at least a total of 40 years out into the wilderness. It takes us to the Jordan. They're about to cross, and, and Deuteronomy sets there, right? And Moses is going to give a lot of these little peps, pep talks. He's going to talk to them, and he's going to say, it's a, a series of speeches where Moses is calling the next generation back to faith. 
because they're about to take the territory. They're about to take the land. And what we see is it's really important for us to understand. Deuteronomy 10 happens before Deuteronomy 12 through 26, which is the list of commands and decrees and the things that we have to do and what God intended us to live. So some of these are new, but some, most of them are old and reminding us of what he said on Mount Sinai the first time. Now you'll hear arguments all the time about how crazy these rules are. But you have to be careful when you're reading Deuteronomy. Because the amazing thing about Deuteronomy is that in, compared to the laws of that day, take the Assyrians, for example. If you compare it to that law, in some ways it's crazy how, how it's calling the people to a higher level of justice and a higher level of living than they ever have before. This is the next level of way of living. And it points out God has a plan and directions for his people to not only survive, but to thrive. If you are in a season right now of survive, trust me, the Lord wants you to thrive. It's not about surviving. We're in a, we're in a generation of surviving. It's thriving that the Lord desires us. Thriving spiritually, thriving economically, thriving physically. On a family level, we see that God cares about all these things on a society level. Often in today's world, people will take the Ten Commandments as limiting, but instead they're about thriving. Just hear this out. They're about thriving. The world talks so much about they can warp what it means to be human. And so we see the Ten Commandments, for example, are a set of boundaries or rules that God has put up that is simply to be a good human. God is going to be like this. Look, society is not going to function if everyone is out there killing one another. Stop killing one another, right? He's going to say, everyone needs rest. Society, set up a system where people can rest on one day. He's saying, look, you can chase whatever gods and pleasures you desire, but there's one true God, and everything's going to work out if you worship me only. He's going to say, yo, 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 if you have a husband or a wife, don't go around sleeping with everyone because it's going to make your life not peaceful. He's going to say this, the world cannot operate and cannot move forward if everyone is just lying about everything. That's human thriving. There's boundaries there, of course, but we know that there's simple and profound rules that boundary, and boundaries that simply help us to be more human. More human is what the Lord has always desired us to be. We have, we, if you raise children, you know this. You have to set up boundaries and you have to set up rules, not for only for their protection, but when you set up clear rules and clear boundaries, they can thrive, they can create, they can get wild within those boundaries. That's great. But when they move beyond that, that's where you no longer can protect them. That's where you no longer can do exactly what you desire them to do. And to, to end with God, it's much like us. We parent to the end in mind. Our parenting needs to be about creating healthy, high-functioning adults that love the Lord. This is what the Lord did. He set up boundaries in place to say, I want you to be a healthy, high-functioning human. This is what it means to be in this boundary. And these boundaries that God give actually give us so much freedom and give us so much protection. So let's go right here. Deuteronomy 10, Moses is going to summarize the golden calf incident. And when the Israelites make the idols, then Moses goes back up to the mountain 
and he's going to get this. The Lord, by his grace, is going to listen to Moses' prayer, and he's going to say, yo, 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 we are going to renew this covenant with you. And so he told to get two tablets similar. He goes up to the mountain, and God lays out the commandments again. It brings us to Deuteronomy 12. Let's read this. Very important question that we are all faced with. Deuteronomy 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? What is the Lord asking of us? What does it look like? What does it look like for human development? Moses has been talking about theological implications that are going to happen, but now he turns it and he says, and now we're going to get into the practical. And he's speaking to the people of Israel, but I want us to hear this because, yes, we live under a new covenant through Jesus, but this is a question that every person, whether they're a believer or not a believer, is going to have to answer. What does the Lord ask of us? Moses is a very good question. And Moses, like all good preachers, because he's given a speech, is going to ask this question. And now there's a list of things that he could have said. He could have said, hey, yo, 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 the best way to do this is that you have to get circumcised, right? He could have said, you have to have a kosher diet. Like that's the most, that's what God is asking you to do. He could have said, you got to make sure that you tithe. In modern evangelical world, it could have been like, we got to make sure that you lift your hands during worship or that you know every word to every Maverick City song, even though they come out with a new song every week. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying instead, he answers this question with five different answers, five expressions of what we are to do and how, what we are supposed to do and how God, what God asks us. And five expressions are so important that I really want to challenge you to memorize these. I'm trying myself. So let's go. Deuteronomy 10, 12b. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe, observe, observe the Lord's commands and decrees? We see here, the first thing that he says is fear the Lord your God. The act of fearing Yahweh is discussed multiple times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The fear of God is this, a trusting awe with everything we do, reverence towards God the Father, committing ourselves fully to God. The fear of God is at the heart of biblical faith. Matter of fact, in Proverbs, Proverbs five times, Solomon says that the start of all knowledge and all wisdom is this, the fear of God. Proverbs 1 through 7, or 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instructions. So like we talked about earlier, we are operating now in a world that, that will communicate to us that all knowledge is relative, that all wisdom is what you believe or how you feel in this moment. But we see in scripture that all knowledge and wisdom starts from this, the fear, trusting awe, total reverence to the Lord your God, to God, Yahweh. It's complete devotion, having Jesus, having God forefront in your minds on everything that you're faced with. Changes everything. All wisdom and knowledge comes from getting into the word, doing listening prayer, which I challenge you over and over again, and to be spiritually disciplined. 
And we see this, and, and it's critical to church growth. Acts 9, uh, 31, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. What were they doing? They were simply doing this, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And what happened? The church grew. There's nothing else that will grow the church besides us living in the fear of the Lord and being encouraged by the Holy Spirit. So we see this, that we're grown in all wisdom and knowledge and that the church actually grows when we have this, the fear of the Lord. So the question has to be asked, and this goes back to what we talked about before. The question has to be asked, what happens when people lose their fear of the Lord? What happens when people lose their fear of the Lord? Well, actually, Psalm 36 tells us, David writes, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So what happens? Read this. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouth are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even in their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. What do we see happens when individuals and society loses fear of the Lord? It says right here, it says that they become so self-centered that they can't even hate sin because they can't even see it. This, they, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, postmodernism, if it's the center, if I'm the center, if everything revolves around me, if there's no truth besides what I'm feeling, what happens? I, I can't even, it's hard because you can't, almost can't even blame people because they just can't even see their sin. They, they, they're so deceived by it. It says here, they speak with straight wickedness. They tell lies. Talking to my kids in school, man, there's parents that are not raising their kids, even that lying's not okay. It's hard. Teachers, you know what I'm saying. How do you even operate a school when kids are free to just lie? Like, you can't even get to the truth. There's no, like, you know what? I lied, or, hey, I need to tell the truth so that we can move on. You don't even know what truth is, these, these teachers. I mean, not they know what truth is, but they don't know how, who said what, what what's going on. They, 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 it says that they have the, when they have the opportunity to do good, they can't even do it. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, you, like, they don't even know what good is and they can't do it. This is not bashing society. I'm just saying this is the word of God and this is what's happening. In some ways, it's like they don't, they don't even see it. In a world where people no longer have awe and amazement, reverence of God, the scripture tells us this, that planet crazy will start thinking good is evil and evil is good and they can't even see it. They're, they, they're deceived. They, they, they're so self-centered. They're so, and church, sometimes us can be this. Sometimes we can be so self-centered. Sometimes we can be so, like, plotting in the church. It happens. Trust me. Churches break up all the time. It's people plotting in their beds. How do I make this person up against this person? How do I take down the pastor? I'm looking forward to that day, just FYI. <laughs> I'm joking, everyone. It's just that clear. We'll, we'll edit that out of the YouTube. <laughs> so the start is this. Being people who are in awe and amazement at the Lord our God. Yeah. Young people, 
I didn't get this seriously until like I'm in my 30s. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like you get the idea of fear of the Lord, but man, you really, really understand awe and amazement. Everything, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're feeling down, when you don't know where to go, just sit in awe and amazement of God. And it's amazing because wisdom and knowledge does come from that. I don't know how else to say that. And when people in our lives are far away from God, I want you to hear this. When people are far away from God, when they come to us with their challenges, when they come with us with their problems, when they come to us with our broken relationships, we want to fix it, but we have to start here. We have to say, yo, 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 where are you at in your fear and your awe of the Lord God? Seriously, where are you at in trusting? We need to establish that first because we can give, you need to do this and you need to do that, you need to do this and that. But they, it says in Psalm 36, they can't even see it, right? Until they have the first part, they can't even see how to work their way out of it. And so we have to say this, it's with awe and with trust that we talk to people and we say, where are you at on this? It's very counterintuitive. Second, we see Moses says, walk in his ways. Now this expression can mean that that we walk the way that the Lord walks. This is how the Lord does it. This is who God is, so this is what we do. We walk in the way that the Lord walks. And we see, as people of God, we see who, the God, who God is, we see his character, and then we do this, we simply imitate the Father. He is holy, so we long to be holy, right? He is holy, so we develop holiness. We walk the way that he walks. It's his character, it's who he is. As believers, walk in his way because we bear his name as a child of God. We represent him. I love it all the time. Brendan always prays this. He always prays that people would walk into this church and they would not see Bertha. They would not see Cassie. They would not see Dan. They would see Jesus Christ. They would see the Lord, not us. So how do we do this? To walk in his ways, we have to have intimacy in knowing his ways. We have to get into his word. And when I say we get into his word, it shapes us and it molds us. It doesn't just read it. We don't just read it. We let it sit. We let it simmer. We ponder it. We allow the spirit to guide us because that's where we get practical. And then we have the courage to walk in his ways. And that's an area that I'm developing in. We can know his ways. We're going to have the Holy Spirit guiding us. But then there comes to a place of do I have the courage to do it? And that's the part that's always the hardest. And I pray for courage for each one of you. Now, the third answer Moses gives is love the Lord your God. To look at this, we have to ask the important question, what is love? Sounds simple. But actually in the West, we mess this up in our head. Well, we just do it different than what he was writing here. Because for us, love is all about emotions. For the West, it's all about emotions. Do I feel love? But the Hebrew here does not mean warm, sentimental feelings about God. That's where the church is going wrong right now. We are chasing feelings about God. But love the Lord your God is not what he's saying. Feelings. Yes, there's a feeling element to it. But in our context, it's love is always romantic and it's an emotional word. There's not a normal person in this world that won't think of this when they think of love, the notebook, right? Like this is how we can, ah, sorry, Andrea just gave me a look. You're not a notebook girl? All right, well, all right. So maybe not all of us think of the notebook. 
we see this, that loving the Lord your God is not about just emotions. Really important to understand this. If we chase feelings in our faith, we will always be disappointed. Now, I'm not saying that feelings don't come out in faith. I'm not saying that, but that's the thing, is that we chase these feelings in our faith. Do you ever think of this as this phenomenon? Like, seriously, we, we talk about this as a leadership team. We have the Kingdom Come Prayer Nights, and there's sometimes that, like, I'm feeling it. I'm ready to go. And there's sometimes, like Mark always reminds us, that sometimes war is just, our prayer is just war and battle. I'm not feeling it, but Lord, here I am. What do you want to do? And it's not about chasing feelings. It's about getting on my knees time and time and time again to say, I love you. Because sometimes worship, you can get all the feels, but sometimes we just have to power through it. But the word love here means this. You got to be faithful. That's what he's saying. To Lord your lo- love the Lord your God, it's to be faithful. In Deuteronomy and throughout the Hebrew text, this word love is always an expression of covenant. It's always an expression of covenant. It's like the Lord did this. This is how we respond. We're faithful. That's simply it. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. A simple and profound statement. Seven words that could change your life. Because we tend to do this. Deuteronomy and Jesus here in the book of John is equating two things that are often separated in our Western mindset, love and obedience. And we tend to think of obedience, the world does, as legalistic, right? We got, we got to do this because it's commanded. We have to be obedient and we have to obey. We have to will ourselves to obey, And we often think of love as sentimental. I have to feel these things all the time. It's why the divorce rate is so high. It feels like we have to feel this way all the time. But what we see Jesus and and Moses is saying, this is what love means. If we love God, we will obey God. And if we obey God, it's a mark of our love. And we have to help people understand that in our world. Those are the two sides. Now the fourth answer, serve the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. Moses says what we are to do here, we are supposed to serve the Lord. I'm go- I talked about this last week, so I'm actually going to power through this. But service to the Lord is one of the most important things. If you are ever not feeling it, start serving. <laughs> I'm telling you, it is, the, it, is, it is the medicine that your soul needs. And I think we miss that. Many of us think when I get it all right, when I get all the feelings, when I get it all, all my struggles gone, we start serving. But it's in the service that we see the change in ourselves. And I see it over and over and over again. I'm looking around. I know many of these, many of my friends here, like it's changed your life. Like therapy, prayer, whatever, but like serving the Lord, both in the house and outside the house, it changes everything. And that's why I love about this. It's service of our whole life. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, it became a daily prayer. And I, I love it because uh, the Dill kids always read this um, and I love it. But it became a daily prayer in ancient Israel. But it's kind of the equivalent of the Lord's Prayer for us in our tradition. But Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, they would read this every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord our God, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. We are called to love, and we are called to serve with everything. Our inner being, 
our bodies, are all our resources, and we are to love and serve. Now, the fifth thing that he says, there's five answers, and the fifth thing he says is he answers this, what does the Lord your God ask of you? You shall keep his commands. It's important to notice this, and I've been alluding to this. It's important to notice that there's four things he lists here first before just obey. Obedience to his commands comes naturally or is successful when it rises out of the four things first, right? We see this. It's often said that the difference between religion and faith in the Old Testament versus the New Testament or what we're experiencing now is that in the Old Testament, there's external and liturgical acts that people had to do. And in the New Covenant, it's this internal expression. But what we see here is that that might be wrong because Moses is saying out of five answers about what does the Lord your God ask of you, four of them are in, internal first. It's processing them internally first. And the faith of the Israelites were just like us, was always meant to live inside out. And that's what is so important. You can have the symbols of the covenant, but you have to have the heart of the covenant you have to have the heart of the covenant. And the Lord's calling us that. Everything flows out of the inside, right? We want to live in awe of the Lord. When we live a life where we want to walk in his ways, we want to do what the Father simply does. When we have a life full of faithful love, when we understand that we are servants, obedience flows out of that obedience flows out of that. If you are in a place, hear me say that. It's hot in here, so i got to wake some people up. <laughs> if you are in a place where obedience is hard, if you are in a place where getting over that sin, if you're in a place where you just feel like you can't get things right, yes, it's important to have discipline. Yes, it's important to set up accountability. But we have to start with this first. We have to ask the question, where are you in your awe and your trust of the Lord your God? Where are you at with living out a love for the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings? Where are you at with the love your Lord your God first and foremost in every aspect of your life? Where are you at in your inner being, all your body, all your resources, everything you have, pouring out of love and service. And this is the same true for us as we share the love of Jesus with people. We have, when we have people who are not just loving or not just living the life of God, when we have people who are not living the life of God, we call out their sin. Of course, we, we say this is the ways of God. This is, this is how you are meant to live. But we start also with this important question, with where are they at? in their awe for the Lord? Where are they at in their love for the Lord? Where are they at in their service? Where are they at in following in his ways? If we show them what it means to love God, if we show them what it means to trust God, if we show them what it means to, to live in his ways, then we call them to complete obedience like Moses is calling the Israelites to. He's saying, this is what it means. This is what the Lord God has asked of us. And so it's true for all of us. It's not easy in today's world because we're going to have to stand up for what the Lord 
the commands. We're going to have to. I'm not saying shy away from that, obviously. But I'm saying that the Lord desires us to develop people into a love and obedience to him. It's not easy in today's world. Moses asked this important question. You have to remember the question is still true today. Every single person in here and outside those doors, what does the Lord ask of you? And we know this. No matter if it's in the ancient world, no matter if it's in the modern world, no matter if it's in the postmodern world, one of the challenges for everyone is that God is a God who never changes. And I'm telling you that's a good thing. He was the same today as he was yesterday, and he will be tomorrow. And all of us, no matter if we live on artificial turf or the real world, we are going to be faced with this question, what does God ask of you? We have to hold the truth and share truth and call people to a higher way of living, which is the ways of God. Now, let me finish this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the, observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today. Highlighted, for your own good. For your own good. This is part of God that we completely miss in society today. Moses is saying, it's for our good that you do this. Man, all my friends that are teachers and, and therapists, I see you, you know this. Like, it's like, ah, this is for your good. Moses is saying, this is for your own good. Living the way God intended us to live is for your own good. Living the way God, uh, or observing the things of God, living in a life of obedience to him is ultimately for our good. Like we talked about, Deuteronomy 12. And 26 are going to be a list of commands, but what's amazing about them is that they were for the Israelites' good. We can't forget that it was revolutionary for their day. Like what the Lord calls them to was revolutionary for their day. Yahweh's commandments and statutes were not aimed at restricting them and not, not aimed at restricting Israel's prosperity and joy in the land that they were about to enter. It was to magnify it. It was to magnify it. It says, if you put this fence around you, if you live within these rules and these commands, I'm telling you, prosperity and joy will come your way. But when you walk outside of those, it leads to destruction. And it always does. And we see that God set these up so that Israel could thrive. And you see it throughout the commands. Emotionally, spiritually, and socially. That everyone would be taken care of that the poor would be taken care of, that the orphan would be taken care of, that the, the widow would be taken care of, that the foreigner would be taken care of. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18, we miss this in society. We have so many social ills, and the Lord God has always been about taking on those social ills. That's what we miss. The Lord cares about socially what's going on, because he says in Deuteronomy 10, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who show no partiality and accepts no brides. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. We talked about this from the beginning. How did society get to where we're at today? As we look at it, we've lost the fear of God, the trusting awe, and we know that we've lost love. 
Many people are waking up thinking, how can, not very many people are waking up thinking, how can I follow in the Lord's ways? But the Lord cares so deeply about what our society looks like. And he's saying, all of us, the Lord has always been about. He doesn't want anybody to be poor. He doesn't want anybody among you to be fatherless. He doesn't want anybody among you to be a widow. He doesn't want anybody among you to not have what they need in food and clothing. The Lord, our God, is all about our good. But when we don't, you see it in Psalm 36, it tells us, we are not going to get back to that unless we have the fear of the Lord, unless we love him, unless we walk in his ways. So important for us to understand because it's for our good. We hold these up because it's for our good. But at the same time, we have to recapture people's heart that God has always been about the best for people. There's no YouTube. There's no book. There's no no sermon even that people could, could give that will change your mind more than just understanding that the Lord has always been about your good and about society's good. That's what he's about. If you want peace and you want joy and you want patience and you want hope and you want prosperity, not destruction, you have to go the way of the Lord. This is not a prosperity gospel message. This is simply a thriving message. If you want to thrive, if you want to be thriving in your life, if you want those around you to thrive, if we want our community to thrive, we have to call people back to God. We have to have the, do what the Lord desires all of us to do. And that means outside there as well, to fear the Lord our God, to walk in his ways, and to serve him only. Jay, I'll have you come on up. Go ahead and stand up. We're going to do, uh, actually, we're going to do communion. Come on up, Tony. We'll, we'll do it standing up, actually. There's something significant to standing up. If you didn't get a communion cup, can you raise your hand? I think Dana can help. Okay, there's a couple of people right there. Guys, we have to be in the thriving business. We as believers can't be in the surviving business of our own lives, in the surviving business of our families, in the surviving business of our neighborhoods. We have to be in this. The Lord desires everyone to thrive. But it's going to be calling people back to the Lord. And it's so important that we understand this. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, that you are a God who created everything, created the heavens and the earth, who created land and water and every sea, uh, sea creature and creature of the air, and yet you care so deeply about us as individuals that you say, hey, I want you to follow my ways because I want you to thrive. I want you to not just survive, but I want you to thrive. I don't want anxiety to rule your life. I don't want worry to rule your life. I don't want pessimism to rule your life. I don't want drugs and alcohol to rule your life. I want you to thrive. And it starts with just being in awe of you, Lord. So I pray that for each person here, that we would be in awe of you. That we would trust you with everything that we are. 
we would trust you with everything that we have. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in your ways, that you would give us more and more love for you and for the community around us. And Lord, that we would walk in your ways. We love you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen.